Hi everyone, welcome to Nerds of a Feather, a place where nerds flock together to talk about all things fun, creative, and nerdy. I'm your host, Parker Randalls. I'm your co-host, Mark Williams. And I'm your co-co-host, Noah Helsey. Thanks for joining us. to talk about my favorite kind of art it would be the art of distillery uh particularly (laughs) (laughs) i'm totally kidding tonight we're going to be talking about art the different mediums it takes the evolution of art and in order for us to do that properly we have brought on our resident art history expert michaela west the awesome fiance to our host mark michaela Please Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Mark you? is, really? in fact, my biggest fan ever. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like Parker said, my name's Michaela um, and I am a huge art history nerd. I did not grow up liking art. I am really, really bad at like doing anything creative. Well, anything like, you know, painting a picture or anything like that. I'm just horrible at it. So I was always like, I hate art, not for me, because I hate things I'm bad at. So I just stayed as far away from it as I could. Until high school, I was forced to take a nine week art history class. And I was like, this stupid, hate it. And then I got like a weekend and I was like, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. (laughs) Like, this is what has been missing from my whole existence. Um, And every year after that, I took an art history elective. I, my junior year, ended up taking a course that like detailed art from like Mesopotamia, like the foundings of civilization until, um, weirdly enough, Barack Obama's presidential um, art. So it was a real good time, but felt like it really has helped me just deepen my understanding of a lot of things and has just allowed me to understand like political and cultural movements in a way that like I had never been able to do before. And it kind of sort of got me a husband. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> because that's really what that's all, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But Mark and I were going to church together and I knew that he'd like been in the art college. So I was always trying to like make up excuses to get to talk to him. And I wrote a paper, a really good paper um, called Gender and the Modern Body, Propelling Art Forward on the Backs of Women. It was it was very intense. But I was like, oh, my gosh, Mark, like I wrote this such a cool paper. You would just love it. And said it exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Was, like, is, was that your like flirting voice? Yeah, I guess. OK, I just wanted to clarify because hey, that's not it's what you working for me. Like. Apparently it's working. I mean, it worked out. It just it worked it really well. voice. So then I told him, I was like, we should talk about it sometime. And then we went to dinner and now we're getting married. So, hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Step one, we went to dinner. Step two, we're getting married. Yes. <laughs> That's Pretty it. Much. And I'll finally have someone That's to adopt story. me. <laughs> Parker, what did you say? I'll finally have someone who can adopt me. <laughs> Which yeah. means they'll stop asking me. He's been doing it for years. I'm like, Parker, I'm younger than you are. This is not legal. <laughs> I'm like one of those ducks that you accidentally help because it, you know it's out of the nest. You don't see the mom, and then it follows you around for you know 25 years. But you're only 24, so you're like, yeah. why is this Wait, doing this? did you say 25? So we're only, what, four years in? So I have another 21 years with you? At least. <laughs> Maybe even 26. <laughs> 26. 
maybe 27. Who knows? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> do you want to talk more, Mark, about how you all met or you want to jump into the conversation? Um, I say that pretty much covers it. Like we talked for our, all, about all of 30 minutes in that first dinner date, but. And what'd you do with the next three and a half hours? Also, I would like to clarify that Mark made me pay for our first date and five months into our relationship, I Venmo requested him for the amount <laughs> and made him pay me back. That is the finest piece of art I've ever heard about in my entire life. I am I was, when, you know in what Hamilton, where Hamilton says, uh, I don't have money to my name, uh, acre of land, or a dollop of fame. That was me when we first started getting married. Getting or, married? I mean, first started talking. <laughs> um, I didn't have a dollar to my name. I was broke. So, But things turned out. I'm now not broke. You're not you're now not broke. That's a good statement. Still, still no acre of land, though. So we're yeah, still on. working on that one. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I mean, it's Oklahoma, so it's not that expensive to find an acre of land. But still. No, okay. definitely not. You could definitely find an acre of land. Speaking of an acre of land, Noah, tell me what led to your decision to talk about art on tonight's podcast. I realize that it has no relation. But Dude, that segue took such a sharp turn it threw me into the bushes, but I will attempt to <laughs> thoughts. So mostly, well, okay, partially because it's a funny story, but mostly just to defend myself. I feel the need to give context for how this whole thing started. So after, I think it was the very first episode came out. It was. Mi Michaela texts me. I'm like driving to go right somewhere. And I get text. She's like, our relationship was going so well until you insulted Michelangelo. And I was like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I did not insult Michelangelo. The fact that he was like the only artist who immediately came to my head when I went to the like part of my brain where it's like, I need an artist, shows what a genius he was because his art still is like, people are still studying it today all these years later. So my whole point was not that old, that older art wasn't interesting or wasn't great. It was just, that's, I was just saying, this is how much I love Avatar. So as we started to continue talking about it, it was, we, she started saying all these really interesting things about like sort of the connection between fine art as it was historically created. And then like what we think of as like monarch today. And I was like, Michaela, don't like send all these texts to me. You need to write them down because we need to make a podcast because this is such, this is such a great conversation. Quality so, content. Exactly. And so from there, I was like, hey, we, we need to have you on the, on the podcast to talk about this because I find this fascinating. Because one thing with art, I think Parker can attest this from our brief trip to Italy when we went together was I just don't, no one ever kind of showed me what to look for in art. So when I look at old art, it's not that I don't think there's not genius behind it or not thought behind it. It's just I haven't, my eyes haven't been trained to sort of know what to look for, you know? You, so when we you look, don't understand the background the politics the exactly. culture of the time exactly so when we toured in with kirk who's the guy from ou who lives in italy who's brilliant has studied michelangelo for like decades he would take us to these different pieces and he goes so this is what this means and this is what this means this, and i was just like wow like it's brilliant and i mean most forms of art are that way but if you haven't been trained to sort of look for it it's hard to pick it up it's why i'm always impressed by people who are like film studies majors because when they watch a movie they see like see things that I've ne would never be able to notice on my own. It's like I'm only thinking for, in terms of like the writing of the story. And they're like, you know, this shot means this, and this shot means this. So, so I find that all interesting. So anyway, we wanted Michaela to talk about sort of art and then the connection between fine art and then all these other forms of art we enjoy today. Yeah, I think that that's you know when we were talking 
through text, we were kind of talking about like the story behind art. And I think that's really what like drew me into the subject when I was younger was because I really like history. And I'm also just incredibly nosy. You can ask Mark, like for my birthday, I really, and I'm putting this on the podcast. So like everyone help hold me accountable. I really, really want him to buy me a used journal, like somebody's used journal. Cause they just want to like, you know, know their thoughts or yeah, something. No one she knows or anything like that. <laughs> she just wants someone's used journal so she can just know about their business. Okay. Listen, that, I need money. I need money for moving. I have my journal right here. How much are you willing to pay me for it? I'm in. It's not that, enough because I, I couldn't give it to you. There's too much. Yeah. It's there's too many things written in there. That but like that know. is exactly what like looking at art when you've like been trained in it, like that's kind of what it feels like to me is like get to read the journal or the thoughts of like the person who made the artwork and the person, the people that are in the artworks. Like it's like getting this whole look into like, all of these different people's lives and their stories and where they lived and like what was going on at the time. And yeah. So I think that that's just a really cool component of the subject. Well, we kind of thought how we do tonight's episode is Mark and I would kind of take turns asking Noah and Michaela some questions and we'd kind of hear their thoughts hear from an expert and then also from an author and creator himself and kind of um, the opposite dice- of an expert. What's the opposite of an expert? An a amateur. Oh. <laughs> like, a, like a Twitter <laughs> egg? I'll be the Twitter egg. <laughs> Perfect. So I think the first question I want to start out is, you know, you kind of talked about this idea of the refined eye versus um, almost this idea of that uh, an amateur can enjoy the art. So I, I, th- I guess the question that I have is, is art meant to be – digested by the masters or meant to be digested by the masses? And I know that's a broad question, but I'd kind of like to hear the merits of both sides. Um, well, I can start off. I think that, I think that it is a really broad question and the kind of cheap like cop out answer is that it depends on the artist. There are a lot of artists that made artwork that they wanted anybody to be able to look at and to understand and to enjoy. And there are a lot of artists that made artwork that they didn't care at all whether another soul ever saw it or enjoyed it or understood it. And so I think it kind of depends on like what you were going for. Like Van Gogh, um, The Starry Night, like that's something pretty recognizable that I think everybody knows Van Gogh's Starry Night. It's on posters and all those things. So people expect like, oh, Van Gogh made this to be appreciated and to be loved and whatever. And like Van Gogh never sold an entire artwork like his entire life. He died penniless penniless, and he'd never sold art because he didn't care if anybody ever saw it and if anybody ever appreciated it. And so I think that it it kind of depends on the artist um, and it means something different to everybody. Whether you have a trained eye or you don't, you can look at art and you can appreciate something about it. So I'm not sure if that answered the question, but that's my first thoughts. That's an excellent answer. That That's very insightful. Noah, kind of give us your take. All right. As the representative for the unwashed masses, I will not respond <laughs> to the master <laughs> by saying, so this is what I agree. I think there's actually like a purity in both of those things. Like the person who creates simply for the joy of creating I think there can be a lot of beauty contained within that, like the the sort of idealistic idea of I'm only creating art for the sake of art, not even necessarily because I want to sell it and make money or something like that. But what I've noticed personally 
within myself, even though the last couple of years is I gravitate toward art or forms of creativity. If you don't want to say call it art, whatever word you want to use for it, that is sort of approachable on a surface level. But when you really start to dive into it, you start to realize like this person is a genius. Like there's so much more going on beneath the surface. There's so much more going on behind the scenes that I maybe wouldn't have picked up on in a first reading. Last week, we did our episode about fantasy book series, and I talked about Harry Potter, which is obviously a children's series written like in a way that's very approachable, that's very fast-paced for children. And yet, as I'm listening, re-listening to the first one on Audible right now, I'm just, again, blown away by like how brilliant these points she's making underneath the surface. Even in like the very first book, she's setting up stuff that's not going to happen for like six books. So on that regard, it's like someone could dismiss that as like, oh, this is just popular artwork, or this is just a popular book series or whatever. And I think that's like sad that there's what I just try to stay away from personally, even though I think we all fall into it with things that we love is not looking down upon someone else's appreciation for art just because you might know more about it, like just because you might have studied it or be smarter about certain things. It's like everyone has different ways of appreciating art. And that's not to say that all art is created equal, because I think there are clearly things that are like, this is brilliant. And this is like, eh, I'm not sure about that. So yeah, I'm not saying, yeah. like, everything that anyone creates is going to be like the most amazing thing ever. But I think I would love to live in a world where we could actually appreciate different forms of art without sort of this sort of like, I'm, I'm afraid to even say I like this because everybody's going to judge me because they're going to be like, oh, well, that's just blah, 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 you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's my thought. I feel like the one piece of art that says, like you talk about, is objectively bad. The film, it's a film called The Room, popped into <laughs> my head. <laughs> it's objectively bad, but people love it. So it's like that kind of like say balances of like it's, it's terrible. Cult. Yeah, it's a cult classic. Um, moving forward, I actually want to talk about or like ask you, Michaela, like what is your definition of art because we're talking about art and like what what is it yeah um well the dictionary definition of art which kind of stinks because like that's just boring who needs a dictionary right we should just make it up but <laughs> it's <laughs> it says that art is the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination typically in a visual form producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty and emotional power. Um, I would, I think that's a pretty good definition. Um, I think for me, art, art, I think really hits on that beauty and emotional power um, and creating for the pleasure of creating um, and viewing art for the pleasure of viewing and and just for the enjoyment of it. And then the emotional power that it's such a way to like connect with artists and art periods and history and all these different things. Um, what like always strikes me the most interesting about that definition is like the contrast between what the classical like definition of art used to be and like what it was versus how we've gotten there now. Like there was a standard when, when fine art, um, when you think about like, Michelangelo's David and things like that. Like there was a standard that you had to submit your art to a group of people and they said, this is good, this is bad. Or actually they just said, this is art and this is trash. 
And like, there was a real definable, like, this is what is skill and this is just not. And I think that it's really cool that as a society, we've been able to say, like, if you want to create something and if you want to apply human creative skill and imagination, like it's art and it's beautiful and you get to call it that, like whether anybody else likes it or not. And, and I think that that's something that has taken a while for me to learn to appreciate um, because I really struggled in the beginning of learning about art because I was like, I want it to be like skill and precise and there to be like a clear good people and bad people and learning like, it's not about that. It's just about people making something for like the pleasure of creating. One line that came to my mind immediately when you started talking about the dictionary is in Infinity War when Rocket or when, oh no, when Drax says to Thor, that's a made up word. And he just looks back and he goes like, all words are made up. And that it's like a really, it's like almost a throwaway line in the movie, but it's a good point of like, all art is made up. All of it comes from like, it starts with an idea in someone's head that then they want to bring to life. And I think it can be like a little bit of both. Like maybe mm-hmm. there is a place for sort of, peer i mean like when we talk about like science we have like peer-reviewed journal articles you know we have like things of like we want we want people to sort of fact check on things and it's a little bit different with art because it's more inherently subjective than like something like medicine might be for example and yet there's also this sort of like long within everyone i think to be like i just want to be able to appreciate whatever it is that i find beautiful in a way that doesn't feel like i need a college professor or someone to tell me you have permission to like this because I've deemed it like intelligent enough in some way. Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite like time periods of art is the like late 1800s and it's called the impressionist movement or Mm -hmm. the impressionist revolt. Um, and it's just talking about the whole idea of like things being judged and like kind of having that standard. And so before this time in, uh, in France, there was the Academy was what it was called, just the Academy of Arts. And so if you were an artist, you created a painting or a sculpture and you sent it to these people and they said, yes, we'll put it on display or like, no, we'll throw it in the trash. Um, And the Impressionist submitted some art. It was a really different style. I don't have to get into that, but it was a, it was a like revolutionary, like new style of art. And they submitted it and the Academy was like, "Mm, yeah, that's not art. And they just like got rid of it. And so the Academy hosted like a once a year art exhibit and the Impressionists bought out the space across the street from the art exhibit um, for the exact same day. And they created um, the Gallery of the Rejects and they showcased all of their art in the Gallery of the Rejects. And to this day, it is still one of the most like highly visited art shows that has ever happened in like human history. And I think that that's just kind of hits at that point where people just want to make something and they want to be able to appreciate it regardless of like whether the institution or whatever thinks that it's good. Um, And that was kind of a real big turning point for art to let kind of push to where we are now in acceptance of different art forms. You know, I I love hearing these takes from both of you and it's really enjoyable. And And the one thing I would add you know, for all the negative things social media has done, one of the great things that it has done, it is democratized art. So there is no longer this barrier that exists. There's no barrier to entry for art. You, I think of the uh, young man who just recently, um, he got really, he got a lot of following on TikTok. He did a bunch of v, uh, VFX uh, effects where he turned into like Ben 10 and he was a Jedi and he turned into Spider-Man. He got a lot of 
you know, traction doing this kind of artwork. And you, I see people from my undergrad experience, they're posting their artwork and actually starting to sell their art. And I think that it's really fun to see, you know, Instagram and Twitter really being used as these platforms where no longer do you have to go through traditional venues. You don't have to be accepted by, you know, the quote unquote academy. You don't have to have a traditional education. If you're talented and you have a social media platform and can post it on there, your art can be recognized. It can even be purchased and be a financial, um, you know, a way of financially supporting yourself as you uh, publish your art and produce it. And so I've, I've kind of enjoyed the social media aspect for that as we're seeing all these fresh new artists go out and make it without having to go through traditional avenues. Yeah. There. So on that topic of like people who are using social media or like an online platform to make high quality things, there's a group called Rocket Jump. And um, I was watching, I forget the or guy who like founded it. I was watching an interview and he's like, um, they have just as big as budgets as some top level like Hollywood films. And they're like, and they just post on YouTube. And so many people are like, why aren't you posting like making movies? Because he's like, well, I now have the reputation of posting on YouTube. And so they will no longer allow him like the, I don't know what it's called, but like a group basically Hollywood won't allow him to make big budget films because he's oh the YouTube guy, even though he's working with the exact same budget that films are, which is crazy. But it like I'm super thankful for YouTube and like those social media platforms because it is now giving people like that guy um, the avenue to make their art or their creative process uh, accessible without having to go through all the schooling loops, all that kind of stuff. So on the note of like the democracy of art and the spreading of art to different forms of social media, I want to ask Michaela. So when you see, for example, the like banana on the wall, that's just like nailed to the wall at some art thing. There are two parts of my brain that, that are equally strong at different points. The first part is like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You didn't even have to work that hard. Like this is dumb. I could have done this. This is ridiculous. And there's the other part that's like, why do I feel the need to judge? Like, like, what is it in me that needs to be like, no, that can't be art. Like, and so I just wonder, like, I don't know if you want to call it postmodernism or like post postmodernism, like as we move further and further past, like the traditional mediums and things are like almost moving past what we used to, the ways we used to express ourselves. How do you, as someone who is obviously an appreciator of a lot of older art or art from hundreds of years ago, but also wants to be accepting of new forms of art because you recognize that all of those forms of art were new at one point. Mm -hmm. How do you absorb something like that? That's like, so literally off the wall. Didn't the guy like, didn't the, the guy like take the banana off the wall and eat it after paying a ridiculous amount of money for it. I think I have this right. I think I remember seeing this on Twitter. Mm -hmm. This guy like bought the banana that was like the form of art and he just got off the one and ate it. And it was like, Oh my God, <laughs> what was that? You just spent so much money to it's eat a banana. A banana. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm like, that's so dumb. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe for that guy, that was like a transcendent <laughs> experience. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So there's like, there's a lot to those questions. But I would say one of the most important things to acknowledge is that like art before the 1800s was completely about representation. So think something that we don't really think about now is like, I can go somewhere and take a picture of it or see my friend and take a picture of it and send it and have a postcard and a video and a this and a that. That didn't exist. And so the reason that people, a lot of people are like, oh, art from hundred hundreds of years ago is so boring um, because it's just, you know, scenes and portraits and whatever. 
But the reason that that happened was because they didn't have any other way to represent that. So then when the camera came and the camera was doing that, Art didn't know what to do because all that they had done was represent what was in front of them. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, there's no need for art anymore. Like what, what else can we do? So that was really the like baseline beginnings of what we would call abstract art. Um, and so it was kind of like this reaction to like, okay, well, I don't need to paint or sculpt what I see anymore. So what else can I do? And so it's emerged into a lot of these different things um, and created a movement where now, since art isn't definable as what I can see, art can be whatever I want. It can be a banana. I could take my shirt to the wall, whatever I want it to be. And that's art. Uh, another component of that is that a lot of artists, like honestly, Noah, when they like get asked about like, why do you do that? They're like, felt like it. Like, I mean, they, they're like, and it's infuriating because I'm like, no, like, you mean the banana like represents this and like, you know, you have some deep tie to the banana or whatever. And they're just like, it just seemed like I should like whatever. And so there's part of it that even that is revolutionary. And even that is important because there was a time when you couldn't create just to create. And now people are taking advantage of that and saying, if I just want to put a banana on the wall or if I just want to like put a pair of glasses on the floor and call it my art, you can't stop me. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because even when you said that I had two reactions, one, no, there has to be meaning. Like what's the point if you're going to make something, if there's not going to be some deeper meaning behind it. And yet, so like as an author, I would say I have moments where I specifically choose a word or write a line or whatever that like, this means this, like I know specifically in my head, but then there are other moments where, I just write something. I remember one in my first book I ever wrote. I remember I wrote a line and I started like tearing up after I wrote it. And I was like, why am I getting emotional about this? And it was like three or four years later when I, it finally hit me, like the potency of that line as it applied to my actual real life finally kicked in. And it was like, I'm going to steal this from Rothfuss. But it was like my sleeping mind knew what was happening. Something resonated deep within me that my conscious mind, my waking mind hadn't caught up yet enough. And so even with that, it's like, yeah, it could be they're literally just being lazy. Like, I don't know. I just felt like it. But it could also be, no, maybe they're connecting with something deeper than like their conscious thought or their like spoken language can actually resonate with yet. But we'll look back and be like, oh, maybe they did it for this reason, even if they weren't aware of it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think that that's a great Pick a great point that I think sometimes when we create anything, we don't necessarily know why or or everything that it means until later. Uh, there's a really one of uh, a very infuriating time period of art to me called Dadaism, okay. and it is great and also very frustrating. So the word Dada is literally because one of the artists, like their child, said words like Dada, and so they created child art. So it's like scribbles and like they cut out paper and glued it. They did this thing. I've showed you a video, Mark. It's kind of horrifying. Like it's very jarring to watch. Um, it's like this spoken word. Oh. But they don't say words. They just like literally get in like these metal costumes and stand on stage and they're like da 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 for just like screech. 45 minutes. And so part of that was because they wanted what's so interesting, Noah, when you're saying like, I want it to mean something they wanted, they consciously wanted people to wrestle with that question of why does everything have to mean something? This movement came out of a, a 
a time of war and there was so much hate and there was all these things. And so they were like, not everything has to mean anything. Sometimes I just stand on stage in a metal costume and scream Dada for 45 minutes and it's fine. And so I think that that's really a cool point to what you're saying of like, what does it mean? A lot of artists consciously knew that people like us would ask that question and that's why they made it because they wanted you to wrestle through that. What does it mean? And why do I want it to mean something so bad? So that reminded me. So last week, I, we will post this in the, the notes because I did not I did not discover this on my own. But I was listening to another pod, another an episode of another podcast that I follow called The Robcast, which is great. And this this the guy who hosts the podcast, his name is Rob Bell, he was talking about he and I think it was his son who was on the podcast with him. We're talking about this Twitter guy whose his Twitter handle is literally at drill D R I L. That's it. Just D R I L. And this guy has been around for like 12 years, like since the in, like inception of Twitter, like way back before it got super popular. And he will post things that on the surface seem almost nonsensical because they're so wild and out there and there's like intentional typos and stuff. And then people will like dissect them and look at them and realize this totally applies to this thing. And this is applying to this thing. Like he'll post something and then it'll become an internet thing that people will then respond to others with. And the other people don't even know what they're referencing, but it's this thing he was making fun of them before it happened. He's it was almost like a prophetic artistic expression. That's like almost post language because it's so bizarre but when you start to like really look at it, you're like, oh no, he does know what he's doing. Like it's not an accident, you know? So that's like almost an example of this opposite side of the same coin where on the, on the beginning, it looks like Dada art. You're like, what is happening here? Why are they dressed up on stage? But you realize, no, he really did like know what he was doing. And I just, I don't know. I find that really interesting. I thought they talk about, we'll post the, that podcast the like link there because they talked about it much better than I just tried to summarize it. But that's an example of like, how art has changed so much that something that's like it's Twitter, it's you know, it's not meant to be taken seriously, and like a, a single line of text can then be like this thing that people look back to for years of like, oh no, he was he knew exactly what he was talking, about. like that was actually intentional the whole time. Can we talk about the great irony of these art pieces where there's supposed to be no meaning that people extrapolate meaning from them. I, th I think it's funny that, uh, and Noah and I had this discussion, if nothing has meaning, the only meaning that exists is what you give to anything. And so it, it, it just cracks me up. The, the only comment I wanted to make is, it is hilarious to me that these artists in their great crusade to have no meaning created all this <laughs> layered, yeah. deep meaning yeah, yeah. in the human psyche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And as it, as it relates to drill, I'm pretty sure it's intentional. Like, I don't think that he is an example of that. But your larger point is well taken. And I think it's also interesting. It's like Tolkien, when he wrote The Lord of the Rings, so this is like early 1950s, he talked about how much he hated allegory. Like in the like, uh, not the author's note, but like the introduction to the thing, he said, this is not allegorical. You might find meaning in it. And he, he used the word applicability, as in you might apply things that you get from it to your life, but it's not meant as an allegory. Now, people have disputed this for years, and some people are like, no, you're clearly trying to make a point about this and this and this. Like, you can't ever fully create something without inserting at least a part of yourself into it, which is really interesting. But I love the idea of, like, it is the meaning that you give to it. The, the phrase I used this last week that Parker and I were talking about was, everything is meaningless, nothing is empty, as in... 
there are so many things that we think have inherent meaning that maybe they don't. And yet anything can have meaning if we're willing to look at it deeper. Which fun fact, everything is meaningless. Bible verse. <laughs> um. When I first started looking at art, I really like hated the idea that anything wouldn't have meaning. Like I was like, no, they've got it. Like they meant to do this and they, they, you know, it was a, some type of meaning about the politics or whatever. And something I've really come to appreciate in the last year, um, in some of my, my classes and stuff that I was doing was like, it feels like such a funny prank to me to see artists that did things like so intentionally, uh, just like this really truly doesn't have meaning. Like again, with the Dada, like their whole thing was like, our whole nation is like at war and everyone's dying. And like, all that I want is to just like do something that like doesn't really matter and like just kind of casual, whatever. And it just feels like such a funny prank to me because you sit in classes and stuff and you listen to people just like go at each other about what it means. And I'm like, man, it just doesn't mean anything. And I just think that it's so funny. And like, just so show so much too about personalities because I love it. I love just being able to be like, yep, doesn't mean anything. Move on. Like I just can just take it at face value and like, that looks cool. I'm done with it. And it's like, some people will spend so long trying to find meaning. And I think that that, I think that that in itself speaks so much about the importance of art, like showing things about ourselves and about how we interpret the world and how we approach things. Because what we are, what are we looking for in the art? Are we just looking to like it? Are we just looking to find something meaningful. There's some environmental artists. I'll have to look up their names, but they did some crazy environmental stuff. And they, I just call it environmental art because it happened outside. Like they wrapped the entire Reichstag. I don't know how to say that Reichstag in Germany. Sure. I'll look that up too. In fabric, just like wrapped it top to bottom. And everybody was like, why'd you do that? And they were like, hmm. We just like the way it looks. And they have gone all over the world. They've wrapped jungles and rainforests in fabric. They wrapped it like half of an island once. And they were like, everybody was like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying? And they were like, we just think it looks cool and have refused to say anything else. And it just, I think it's one of the like Most coolest. Baller I, know, moves. I think it's so cool that they're just like, eh, we just like it. <laughs> I, I know I keep bringing it back to the subconscious versus conscious thing. I'm sorry. I just find it <laughs> endlessly fascinating. But to me, it's almost like, does it matter whether it was intentional or not? If it has meaning, like, I almost don't know which one's more impressive. Like the person who plans everything, I guess that like, if you knew the whole time, like if you plan the whole thing out, that's more impressive, but it's almost equally genius to like, look back and be like, I didn't even know that's what I was doing. I was just writing. And then I look back and I've created this thing that's brilliant. Or I, you know, I was painting and I didn't even know that I was attributing meaning to it. And yet now I look back and like everything is connected and it wasn't even my conscious thought. And yet it's like, there's almost like a, it's like another level of genius that's like beneath the surface. That's still, it's still real. It's still happening. But it's like, to me, it's almost like, it doesn't matter. Like, is it, does it have meaning? And if it's contributing to society and people are drawing something good from it, then whether it was intentional or not, it's like, eh, who cares? Yeah. So Noah, talking about the the David, I think that's kind of what we started our conversation yes. about um, by Michelangelo. It's just really interesting. You're talking about, you know, whether people plan it out from the beginning and like have that meaning from the beginning. And like Michelangelo has said about most of his sculptures that he just took like this piece of, of rock of marble that never should have been carved on. It was like all messed up or whatever. And then he just says that he just like sat in front of it and was like, what do you want to be? And 
like asked this rock what was inside of it and felt that he had this like emotional experience that he was supposed to bring David out of this rock. And so it's just kind of interesting to me that one of the most like iconic art pieces when th people think about technique and skill and all these things was just like Michelangelo just being like, I don't know, whatever's in there, I'll bring it out. And now we're all like, oh my gosh. He's like, a genius. Awesome. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just crazy. The creative process is oh, awesome. Speaking of a mad genius, that man literally talking to Rock and the Rock spoke back. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we've got a little bit of time here. So I want to move into one final question for all three of you. So Michaela, Mark, and Noah. Uh, one, knowing the history of art. Um, one who I would say is an excellent photographer and great with the audio visual side of art. And then one who can create, uh, as it says in Hamilton palaces out of paragraphs. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to hear from all three of you with our final uh, portion of the podcast. What do you think the future of art is? I know it's a big question. I know it's a big question, but just you personally, what do you think the future of art looks like for the masses, for the master? What do you think it looks like? Um, I'll go first. I'll give the boys some time to think, I guess. Thank you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm not struggling over here. Um, wow. I think so. Something that is really important to acknowledge about art is that it is always, always has been, and always will be a reaction to the culture that it exists in. So you can go through every time period. I mean, you can go from you know, Roman art, you can do classicism, you can do all these different things, and you can look at what was happening in their society and figure out why they made what they made. So I think that as our society becomes, I don't wanna say more political because we've always had the political process, but I think as the general public becomes more aware of um, political issues through social media and news and all those things, I think the art is gonna become more overtly political. It's always been political um, inherently, there's a lot to that, but I think it will become more overtly like political art kind of propagandistic, not necessarily in a bad way, but just kind of um, using the political process more. And I think that we'll still continue to see an increase of, I think really boundary pushing would be what I would say, because it feels like at this point that there's nothing that we haven't done. It's kind of something that like modernism and postmodernism is kind of wrestling with this question of like, well, they've already done all these things and now people just tape a banana to the wall and like, what do I do? And so I think we'll see people that engage more in like social justice, political advocacy, political process through art. And we'll see more people just try to figure out where do I fit? How do I make something? So I think it's going to become a lot more um, freeform and a, even more just kind of like, just do whatever you want. And that's art. I would say that's kind of what I'm expecting. That is a lovely answer. Mark, <laughs> kind of tell me a little bit about what you think the future of art looks like. Uh, I see <laughs> Michaela staring at me. Uh, wow. Death glare. No. <laughs> <laughs> I see art going two ways. It can, because right now I, I, I see our art as very stand still and what i can what i mean by this is like i basically what mikhail was just saying i've seen what what's left what's left to be done and so i agree with michaela in the sense that it's going to become a lot more experimental and you're going to see a lot more um of that what i could also see is my my two thoughts 
of bringing back traditional beauty, going back, taking like full rescind from nailing a banana to a wall and like, let's get back to beauty. Let's get back to the classic. Um, hey, Academy that banana uh, was beautiful. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the classic, um, the Academy style of beauty, but with a polit, even though like, like Michaela said, it's always been political, but even more with a political side of it. So a beautiful, classic political piece, or I could see it becoming more like I see that happening. And also at the on, on an undercurrent because of our world becoming more easily accessible and repeatable. I see Andy Warhol-esque type things where they, Andy Warhol's the one who made the Campbell soup and made so many screen prints of the Campbell soup. He's like, our world is becoming more consumer consumerism and um, more mass produced. I'm going to mass produce art. He, so he made all the uh, Campbell soup artworks. He also did it with, um, Who's that famous actress? I think he did Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. He did a ton of screen prints. But having it, having art be mass produced and just so easily repeatable, where it becomes so numbing almost, that I see that's where art could go in two ways. I see both happening at the exact same time, where we see the essence back to beautiful and meeting, and then also just mind numbingly overproduced. Beauty versus pro- uh, mass production. That's definitely a great take, Mark. Noah, why don't you finish mm-hmm. off? So I would like to combine sort of what Mark and Michaela are both saying, because I agree with Michaela <laughs> that there, that our, 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 especially in this current climate, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. A lot of his, historic injustice that has been prevalent in our country since the very beginning is finally being talked about in ways that it should have been a long time ago. So there's a lot of reactionary art that's happening right now in our country. And yet, to go back to Mark's first point about like the return to the return to like, not the academic, but academy, you know, the sort of Mm -hmm. classical representations and creations of art. I think there's going to be also this longing though, for the transcendent, not just for something that's reactionary, and applicable to the moment, but something that's actually, you can take it out of its context and look at it from far away. And you're like, this could apply to anything. One of my favorite examples of this is a very political book, and then it became a musical, and then it became a movie. It's Les Mis, and in Les Mis, the, it's a, such a political book. I mean, if you read the book, he references so many French philosophers. I read the book. I was like in high school. I had no idea what was going on because he's, he's talked about so many different French thinkers and people I had no idea, and yet you watch the musical, you can clearly see – what he's saying this is unjust this is wrong we need to fix this and it was very clearly set within that moment and then at the end of the musical they sing this song which is basically taken straight out of the book of isaiah and it's this idea that like there will come a day when all of these things will be made right when all of the there will be no more war there will be no more suffering all this stuff this sort of transcendent idea of as we continue to grow as a species we bond with each other and we um, keep quoting Rob Bell today. We live in a self-transcending universe. Like we're constantly wanting to transcend where we were before. We're constantly wanting to grow past the hatred and the prejudices and the things that we've carried with us from the past. So I see both reactionary art, but then sort of a longing for something more than reactionary art that like transcends the time and space that we're in. 
that actually gives people hope that we can not always live in reaction, that we can actually reach a point where we no longer have to just fight each other over this is the way it was. And now this is wrong. And now this is wrong, but it's like, no, we've, we can actually get to a point where we don't have to worry about these things. And I'm not saying that's anywhere in the immediate future. That could be many, many generations down the road, but I hold on to that as someone who loves art and stories that there is something better coming from this. So really quick talking about like kind of political and reactionary art. I have to bring up, an artwork that I very briefly told Noah about via text. Yes, we forgot about this. We almost <laughs> forgot about this. Um, I'll do it so fast. So it doesn't, it's untitled. So for the, these purposes, we're going to call it the HIV candy sculpture. Um, so this was a political piece when HIV AIDS was uh, kind of a new thing on the scene. Not really new, but like newly stigmatized and brought a lot of pain and trauma to the homosexual community. So this guy named Felix Gonzalez Torres, um, his boyfriend actually passed away from HIV. And so Felix's reaction to this was he created sculptures um, of his of his boyfriend. I'm saying that in air quotes because they're not in any type of like shape or form. It's just like a pile of um, hard candy. Um, and then there's like a description by it that says like, this is my boyfriend. He died of HIV. And then it encourages people to take the candy and eat the candy so that his boyfriend can have everlasting life through passing on to visitors to the museum. So I just really had to bring that one up. Um, an example of how art has always been and always will be political and had to give Noah a little bit more history of that one. They replenish the candy at the museum twice a week because people eat so much of the candy. They get it from a specific factory in New Jersey and they just pop some more candy in there. And his boyfriend is recreated weekly and then ingested into the visitors. It's kind of like communion. And he lives on in the souls of all who consume him. And he lives on. Speaking of transcendence. All right, Mark, <laughs> we made it through the podcast. I would just like to go on the record. This is Noah's voice. You should marry Michaela. This is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's we got that out of the episode. Michaela, thank you so much for coming on. Your insights were incredible. Your knowledge, extensive. We are very fortunate that you are marrying Mark. Uh, you are a welcome addition. I to am the very family. happy <laughs> she is marrying me. Well, we thank hope you, you enjoyed. Um, Michaela, we hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, we're actually going to be taking suggestions from viewers for what our next episode should be. So be sure to check out on the Discord channel. Give us your suggestions. Be sure to listen in. If your suggestion gets picked, we'll be sure to reach out to you. But otherwise, thank you again, Michaela. Thank you. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to check out our Discord channel. That's where you can connect with other nerds of a feather, have fun conversations, and even suggest your own episode ideas. Discord members will be the first to hear about bonus content, including our soon-to-be infamous pre-show and after-show. If you want to get to know us better and create a community with other nerds, check out the link in the description below. Trust me, you do not want to miss it.